Good evening from Los Angeles. I'm Holiday Kirk. You're listening to the New Metal Agenda podcast with me tonight. Co-hosts, we got Cran in this. Hey, everybody. We got Wolf. Oh, woo. Joining us, whoa, celebrity guest O'Clock representing Vermont. Coming to us from Vermont. Snowed in, in fact. We got nothing nowhere. Thanks for having me, dude. Appreciate it. How bad is it out there? It's pretty treacherous, but it's nice. It's kind of cozy, you know? You ever feel pressured to do the LA move? Uh, um, That's a good question. Um, it's like so, so typical, right? To do the LA move. It is very cliche, but it also, you know, it, it is, you know, you can't deny that there are more connections and there's more opportunities out there because that's just where everywhere flocks to. But funny enough, I tried to move there in 2013 when I was in film school and I transferred schools out there. But when I got there, the the academic advisor pretty much was like, yeah, none of your credits are transferring. So I had I had an apartment in Studio City and I was paying for it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I got to go. <laughs> like, I, so I was there for a grand total of maybe three months. And then like, all right, bye. See ya. I mean, I'm out there a lot still, you know, but yeah, it's a different vibe up here for sure. So do you, when, when you get addressed though, in interviews, podcasts and the like, do people typically call you Joe or do they call you? Joe's fine. Joe's yeah. all good. Not nothing. No. Yeah. No, Joe's fine. It's Me and Joe. So Joe went live on Twitch the other day to write a song and I saw he was on, on live and I jumped into and I'm like chilling. He's got like his songs playing in the background. He's got this one song. It's cool. It's all moody and atmospheric. And I'm like, I'm like, Hey, I'm digging this. This is familiar. Is this Deftones or something? And the singing starts and it's in French. And I was like, God, this is fucking Playmo. This is Playmo. Yeah. And that's the ultimate in like Kurt Core. Like if you've been around, like you'll know. Did I turn you on to Playmo? Funny enough, my drummer, uh, my drummer Taylor, who also plays in a, a hardcore band called Chamber out of Nashville, he put me on to Playmo. And the last tour, all we listened to was Playmo. And and like. I thought that they were a band that was around now that was like killing it. But then I realized that they're actually from the early 2000s. And I was like, this is, they're so sick. I'm devastated. I didn't know anyone in the United States of America knew about Playmo without going through me first. <laughs> I feel like I have to gatekeep now. You're the ambassador. Whoa. You broke Kirk's heart just now. Oh, I was like, oh, what? I had this. This was my thing. No, you got to be cool with it. You got to be cool with it. I'm going to tell you though. I'm going to tell you though. So, you know, the lead singer's deal, right? No, I don't know. Really? I don't know anything about them besides the fact that they're French. Lead singer moves to America, takes up painting, and he now sells paintings of Westerns for five hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars in Arizona. What? And he has half a million Instagram followers that know him as a painter. And and, and I'm always and I DM him all the time, all the time. I DM this guy and I'm like, hey, you know, it's me, Kurt. America's biggest Playmo fan. How you doing? You said 500, 700. And I was like, yeah, was, that's pretty sick. And then you said thousand. And I was like, how are you that good at like music? And you have like your band is that sick, but then you're also that sick at painting. All those album covers. He did those. He did those. He, wow. he was a polyglot before musicians. You know what? I have this on my notes here because I was watching an interview of yours in which you were talking about like having to learn maybe over the pandemic, how to do like video editing or TikToks and stuff. I mean, you already knew how to do that. Don't get me wrong. And this is a subject that comes up a lot, whether I'm talking to like rock stars from the nineties or just people that are successful now where it's like, 
I don't think people know this. I don't think the kids know this, but if you were a famous dude, a musician in the nineties, that was your whole job. You didn't also have to know how to like edit videos and direct and you know, you weren't like on TikTok doing your thing. Like your job was to be a famous musician. Yeah, you show up and you scream into a microphone and you leave. And then you go get drunk and enjoy being famous, I guess, for the other 12 hours. And um, I do feel like it's a lot of pressure. I think that there's like an invisible pressure to be good at everything now, or at least competent at every, like, do you ever find yourself pulling up like Logic, Premiere and Photoshop all at the same time and thinking like, I have to know how to do all of this every day. Yeah. Every single day. And I mean, super thankful that I have a background in film. Like I used to do film festivals. I went overseas and did some stuff over there. And my job, when I started nothing nowhere, I was working for an ad agency and we, we were doing a video for Ben and Jerry's, which was our main client because they're obviously from Vermont. And uh, I I had just dropped my first song as Nothing Nowhere called Don't Mind Me. And I remember waking up and it had like, I don't know, 5,000 streams on SoundCloud, which was crazy at the time for me. And I and I had like three grand saved up and I quit. But ever since then, I'm like, well, damn, I'm glad because now there's this pressure, whether people like it or not. I personally it bums me out, but it's like you have to be this never ending content spewing machine because people's attention span is just non-existent now. You know what I mean? So it is what it is, but damn, that would have been nice back in the day to just show up screaming a mic and just peace out, you know? And that was what I think new metal brought to the table for the first time in a rock metal environment was the, the idea that you were not just a musician, you were an entrepreneur because we were just talking to Kevin Kinney from MTV last night. And he was talking about how like new metal took on that rap mindset, not just musically, but also that, you could like there was no such thing as selling out like no. like Fred Durst did Limp Bizkit. And at the same time, he was the fucking uh, vice president of A&R at Interscope. And then like Korn were signing deals with Puma and Mike Shinoda of Linkin Park designed the album covers and Johan did the music videos. And I don't think rock or metal ever had a moment like that ever. No, I think, dude, that's a that's a crazy point, because I think that that was their new metal's greatest strength was always that it never the the good ones never took themselves too seriously you know what i mean they realized that it was like yeah like we like like a band like soulfly or something like yeah why not this song's called jump the fuck up or whatever you know what i mean like it's not it's like when you get a tattoo or something there's two philosophies right as a heavily tattooed person it's like you know, you can get a tattoo because you think something looks badass or you can be another person. that's like, I got this tree because the roots are family. And like I I err on the side of the new metal philosophy where it's like, I just, yo, I think it's badass and new metal so good at that. So, yeah, corn, like sign your Puma deal. Like, who cares? And 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 then I think with like especially with I think Linkin Park really set the paradigm for what it means to be a professional musician. Now, Linkin Park was on tour for hybrid theory. Right. And. I know there's some footage of this out there. Mike Shinoda is getting faxes from Warner Brothers marketing department, and it's got the single album cover for One Step Closer. And he's taking notes. He's like, hey, this looks good. Let's alter this. The wing should be shaped like this. Change this and faxing it back. People did not fucking do that. And <laughs> You were not doing that. If you were a famous rock star in that time, you didn't like yeah. hit up epic records and were like, let me see the promo materials for quarter three. Like you just you were just like, yeah, man, that's. That's fire. That's good. That's cool. Yeah. 
and then but now even oh, good no you go ahead i was gonna say even five years before that labels had entire departments that just handled that for artists like you said it, it, their job was just to be a musician and we've but gone if you fast to, forward we, to now dude we have gone way too far in the other direction now because musicians that should be spending all their time and effort making music are doing so much other bullshit and people want to sit around and be like man music sucks nowadays and it's like yeah dude your favorite musician is also a film editor content creator digital superstar has to know how to run twitch account his twitch account copywriter and and like we need to like find another middle ground where we can have those professional departments taking some of that off our shoulders because that's the other thing in many cases artists have to be their own label manager now too like you said they have to know how to keep themselves in the public eye constantly they have to know how to make tiktoks they have to know how to make reels well, it's I just, think it becomes a content factory. I think that there's some benefits to it because even like the most savvy new metal dudes they didn't like own their masters i don't think i don't think anyone but prince knew what it even meant to own your masters and then like but like joe sitting here right now like you know exactly what i'm talking about and it is funny like this conversation you know like artist development doesn't exist anymore on labels like you need to have a following before you even approach a record label you know what i mean you're an influencer like it sucks because you you're expected to be an influencer first and then the music is secondary to your online persona and that's just what's what it is now like you look at some of these kids on tiktok with millions of followers they're just like you know what i'm gonna decide to make music and yeah, you know, yeah. and it works I'll drop and a it track. Works. it's crazy man i think that one of the issues that we're having here is we're hitting this moment of like peak emo where yeah um there was like a moment where emo rap Emo rap was a, a very like mercurial and new thing where it was like, man, what could this be? What could we do to, to take this in different directions? And now it's like, if you want to have an emo rap hit, you do this, 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 this. Uh, do you feel like emo rap is a little exhausted at this point? Oh, it's dead and buried. I'd say it's been dead and buried for three years. Yeah, yeah. My, okay. I don't want to go on for too long because... You're here, not me. I'm always here. Um, I think I that <laughs> I think that when Lil Peep and Juice World like passed, that was when emo rap sort of stagnated and fell off because it was like they were pushing it forward and then they disappeared. And yep. now, you know, who takes up that mantle other than the good people at Interscope Records? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and then adding on to that it was sort of like you saw it, it was too big for its own good. I mean, for people listening who don't know, like I was. Uh, the early guy with with the whole emo rap thing um, when we were in Skype rooms, you know, 2013, 2014, maybe 2012, you know, it, was, it really started with Bones and Team Sesh and then uh, GBC, which was Wikiphase, who was Adam from a band called uh, Tiger's Jaw. And uh, it was this really exciting time where it was like, this is so fresh. I can't believe, you know, like people are doing this. And it just felt like a community and I was happy to be in that community. But then, you know, like anything else, once, you know, the long arm of, uh, you know, corporate music gets a hold of it, it sort of uh, sucks the blood and the life out of it. Um, but even still, like, even if it wasn't for the music industry, it just was kids were getting too big too quickly. And they had, you know, endless amounts of resources and it ended up, you know, kids were dying. And, and I think that I think it never recovered. And I don't think it ever will recover. 
I think that the the moment in terms of like big corporate money was like, how do we extract as much value from these kids as we can, as fast as we can? Not necessarily like let's build their careers. It was like shovel enough drugs into their tour bus to get them through the the week or whatever. And that yeah. is a very dark way of putting it, I know. But um, do you see yourself like, okay, so you're pivoting somewhat out of that. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, I think I've been out of it for at least like trauma factory. My last record was definitely a step in a different direction. Um, and obviously this, this new record void eternal is certainly, um, something entirely different. So I just think, you know, it was, it was time. Um, and I'm just grateful that I have fans that like support me no matter what I do, you know what I mean? So I'm lucky in that regard, but and even just creatively, you like you can only do one style so much before it's just like I'm. I want to do something else, you know. Do you want to introduce the new, or perhaps at this point when this episode's actually out, current album? Yeah, um, yeah. So the new record's Void Eternal. Uh, I recorded it entirely in my barn uh, at my at my house. Um, it's it's featuring like all of my heroes and like my favorite current musicians. We got like. Will Ramos from Lorna Shore on there, Under Oath, Pete Wentz, Buddy Nielsen, um, Static Dress, CU Space Cowboy, Freddie Dredd, Silverstein. I mean, it's packed with just phenomenal like musicians and vocalists. And honestly, like for me, I feel like this is the record I should have made off the jump. And it was something that I had tried behind closed doors for years, but I was sort of I wanted it to be perfect before I showed the world. And I feel like we finally got to a place where Void Eternal is a record that, yeah, it has hints of new metal and hints of post-hardcore. Um, but I think it's done in a fresh and a new way. It's not like I'm just trying to be Limp Bizkit or something. What it really reminds me of, because I've been spending a lot of time with it today, because you did me the pleasure of sending it to me. I appreciate that. It doesn't remind me so much of new metal as it does the transitional moment between new metal and emo when it was tipped to be post-hardcore and screamo as the next big thing. So it reminds me of like the used story of the year, Blindside. And I think that's really cool because if we do need anyone in the scene right now, it's someone to like fuse the gap between emo and new metal. Because right now it's almost like two tribes at war. And this sort of strikes that middle ground where you have Static Dress and Buddy Nielsen on it at the same time, back to back, really. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, it was really just me taking my influences throughout my life and just like throwing them on the canvas and and the result is something that I like I'm super stoked about and uh yeah I can't wait to like tour it too which will be finally hitting Australia and then we're doing the tour with Wage War and Spite in the spring as well I don't know when this will come out but it's gonna be sick can you explain a little bit of your history as a new metal fan because I know that I mean your emo bona fides go without need no introduction but yeah. i don't think i and i know in certain interviews you have definitely name checked lincoln park and limp biscuit but do you yep. want and i definitely hear a lot of deftones on this record uh yep. do you want to though talk about that a little bit more because i think that when this album comes out people are going to be like oh he he likes new metal so that might be a little bit of a surprise <laughs> Yeah. Um, I mean, my first introduction to like my own music, you know, aside from listening to, you know, my mom, you know, my mom's radio station she had on in, in the minivan, um, you know, the first kind of heavy stuff I ever heard. I remember being at the bus stop in my hometown of Foxborough, Massachusetts, and my neighbor 
showed me uh, uh, let the body hit the floor by you know drowning pool. Um, and I was like, you can't do, you can't say that you can do that in music. You can, you can actually do that. And it was like, it was such like a pivotal moment for me that, um, that sent me down the rabbit hole of like, you know, like so many other American kids getting like MX versus ATV unleashed and all the video games where there was like, you know, cold by crossfade. And there was all these songs, especially within wrestling. It was just so a part of like like culture where it was unavoidable and i was obsessed with it i remember seeing mudvayne show up to the red carpet with the bullet holes in their heads and i was like this is the sickest thing i've ever seen and as a kid you just can't believe it so yeah i i've that was my new metal was my first love and it's an influence that's you know unavoidable when it's your first love especially with music so we were actually born less than a month apart. So I feel like our journeys oh, nice. were, I feel like our journeys were super similar. We're all the way through like elementary and some of middle school, we were new metal kids and then we became yeah. emo kids. Yeah, that's yeah. It literally, <laughs> like, exact, exactly. that's, a, that's my exact trajectory. Like it started off so new metal heavy. Right. And then it went into emo and post hardcore. And then, you know, it stayed there for a while. And then I'd go back to like straight hardcore, um and then you know now i'm just like oh you know what new metal is fucking you know it's fucking awesome <laughs> i i'm really hard on new on emo quite a bit and i think i've gotten this reputation as someone that hates emo, which is super not true i just i i really loathe the way it's been destroyed by the corporate interest to make like the commercialized emo night yeah complex. and you've stayed out of that haven't you you've like totally stayed out of that yeah i have um i don't know i mean i mean I it's it's definitely a force like the emo stuff is it's it's a like the elder emo thing makes me cringe really bad um just all the TikToks you see it's like we get it man like we all grew up listening to the same shit like we get it um but yeah it's just one of those things where it's like you know and I just need a break from it it's like it gets annoying I was I was at an emo night for the first and last time in like 2018 and they had one they had a band some scene band up there doing the thing and they and the singer goes i don't know about you guys but i'll always be an emo kid and i was like oh no this is not <laughs> good. i'm like oh no cuz it became immediately i was like i was like oh this is a nursing home like this <laughs> yeah, is right? like this is a nursing home for 28 to 37 year olds yeah get some metamucil ready for after yeah. the show you know and that really is like what it's become when you like go to like an emo brunch and order I'm not okay pancakes. Like, dude, this is dead. Like, we gotta get the fuck out of here. And yeah. um, you it, can't, it's just beating a dead horse sometimes, you know. I mean, I'll always love that music, like same as you. It's just sometimes the the cult, like, you know, the culture surrounding it. It's like it's like a show that you love, but the fan base sucks. You know what I mean? No, this is like dude, that. this is a show that I love in its eighth reboot doing its third movie for another yeah. streaming service like this is it's like it's like i see what's going on here i don't want any more part of this and that's why i like took up new metal because what's always fascinated me was that you go through those nostalgia cycles like in the year 2000 people were really nostalgic for the 70s because yeah. people you know go in those 20 year nostalgia cycles so what's really fascinating to me is the the nostalgia trend just hopped over new metal and and took up emo instead 
And I think that's yeah. because new metal is still considered by many to be like really lame and like, ugh, we don't want to, we don't want anything to do with that. Yeah. It's yeah. Because it, it, like I said earlier, like new metal never took itself too seriously. Like it was just about like having fun and just like badass riffs, like bounce riffs all day. And that's like, yeah, I just think that the world needs more of that. And critics hated, and they probably still hate new metal. You know what I mean? And it that should tell you something right there. Like, if which is to our, it, which is to our benefit. Yeah. The longer, exactly. like, the longer this goes on, where we're underestimated, it's like, yes. Like every time I get an article, someone sends me an article, and it's like ten reasons why new metal is the worst genre ever. I'm like, yes, thank God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I wish I still had it, but there was a magazine called Metal Hammer back in the day. And it's still there, but you know, it's print. People don't really read print. They had a mud raid review that gave it zero stars out of really? 10. And that's all it fucking, said was <laughs> that's fucking hilarious. You know, I just wrote an article for them, right? Did you? Yeah, you did. Yeah, I did. The 10 did craziest the, new moments. The 10 craziest new metal moments. Oh, how the times have changed. It was what when LD50 came out. Wait, what album did they give zero stars? LD50. Well, I do think that album sucks. So I <laughs> I don't think I don't zero think stars sucks though. No, I love that album. No, you know I do. No, no. Dig alone is two stars, but you know I'm I've always been a little. Uh, sometimes it gets a little silly for a little too silly for me. The bugles and, on the face. What? The dude who the bugles. The guitar player. Man, yeah. No, I love the I love the ostentatious like uh, appearances. I just don't like when the songs yeah. go on for over six minutes. That's when it's uh, yeah. I don't know about yeah. this. Yeah, I remember just, yeah, the first time I ever saw Wes Borland, like, in a music video, I was like, that's what I want to look like when I'm older. <laughs> like, I, I, What I think is to the strength of so much new metal and the reason why people end up reflexively hating it was the best new metal is everything you wanted to be when you were 12. It is the, yes. it is the absolute apex of cool. When you see Fred yeah. Durst dancing on top of the World Trade Center, with the lights and the helicopters, you're just like, there is literally nothing cooler than that. No. And then you you go through your ironic phase of being, you know, like, I don't know, 18 to 23, and you shut all that down. And then, but then you get older and you realize, or some people wake up from the matrix and realize that, no, that is actually as cool as it gets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's badass, dude. Like, yeah, it's just so... Like, it's like that movie, like 13 going on 30. Like if you were a 12 year old and you could snap your fingers and then you're in your late twenties, like you would be Fred Durst in, at his peak. You know what I mean? Like, it's just so, it's so funny. And I think there's only, I think there's only so many articles I can read about how the world is coming to an end before I'm just like, fuck it. I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm yeah. going gonna to go get my hair bleached again, or I'm going to go get every tattoo that I think is cool. And I just, I don't want to, I just don't want to live like according to how the order is supposed to go. I don't, I don't have a house. I can't afford a house. I'm going to get a pair of Junkos, you know? <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> but, you, know, you didn't give me enough money to retire on, so I'm going to do what the fuck I want now. Yeah, the new metal, the, the generation that was raised on new metal are uh, pretty fucked right now. Yeah, so I might as well just get back into that. I don't know what else yeah. to do. And then yeah. I, but I also think with the generation that was not raised on new metal, the generation, because we, fuck, we're both millennials. Yeah. You know? And then, Cran, uh, you're, a, you're a baby boomer, right? I skirt the line. I'm, I'm right on the cusp of millennial, but closer to baby boomer. 
what? No, you're Gen X, right? Gen X. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's one of them. In uh, Limp Bizkit have a song about Generation Gen X. X. Generation Strange. Generation Strange. Come on, man. You're supposed to be quoting Hey, listen, uh, I, I don't define myself by labels, so. Fired. <laughs> but what I think is extraordinary about New Metal and like having conversations with kids younger than us is that New Metal was at the last time when rap and hip hop looked up to a genre of heavy rock and metal music where they're like, we want to be like that. So you have like yeah. Dr. Dre name checking Limp Bizkit in a song, Jay-Z wearing a beanie that says Limp Bizkit on it, uh, Pharrell adding drums and guitars to NERD albums. Like that shit doesn't happen anymore. Didn't Eminem and uh, like Fred Durst have like a weird beef for a while? They did a song together. God, I wonder why the song never came out. They did a song together. It's really good. Um, and then they that did end beef up having was related to the VMA incident. Um, you know what the beef was? I'm trying, I'm racking my brain trying to remember what it is. Oh, I do remember what it when was. When he was walking down the aisleway rapping, uh, I so I could sit next to Carson Daly and Fred no, Durst. No, 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 Carson Daly's hand and walk by Fred Durst. The beef, the beef was Eminem was, was in it with Everlast and Fred Durst, you know, they had DJ Lethal in the band. And Fred Durst refused to side with Eminem on it. I think actually Eminem was going to put out a song in which he name checked Fred Durst and Everlast. And Fred Durst was like, no, you can't do that. Like, I'm not, I'm not on your side. And then Eminem was like, well, you know, like he did in that day, just went at them really heavy. And I think that's what happened. Yeah. But that was all part of it. And then, you know, Eminem puts out the Eminem show and it has big guitars and rock drums on it and Aerosmith samples. And it's like, yeah. At that point, rap was still somewhat answering to rock. Like rock was still leading the way because of new metal's invasive desire to push things forward. And then emo comes around and like emo's great too and sells quite a bit of records, but it's influences of like the cure, the descendants, uh, you know, bands like that, Depeche Mode, and uh like the the influences are still from like the 80s, 90s. It's not necessarily about pushing things forward anymore. And I think that's when the cycle of innovation starts to taper off. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Like, because it really, when you did get to that sort of like mall emo phase, everything sort of just felt like Groundhog Day, every single song you you heard, you know what I mean? Which is what we're getting to now, definitely. It's weird because now all of these pop punk and emo songs, they're like nostalgic, but then these feel like grand, like they all sound the same. They all sound like the same Blink-182 song. You know Dude, what I mean? We know what a Travis Barker type beat sounds like. Yeah. People got to put their own sauce on it now, you know? So I wrote about this recently, but what I've noticed is the issue in terms of the pop punk and emo rap moment is that the genuine authentic popularity of it is stalled out and is being buttressed by major label money. My example yeah. was... You came, you came up just short of saying his name. My example was Machine Gun Kelly. He had a whole Vanity Hulu documentary produced of him in the last year, and he was all over different headlines and magazine covers, but he did not put a song within spitting distance of the top 40. And it's like, well, what's going on here? Where's all really? this press? No, not even close. Oh. I, don't think, I don't think he ever bumped before number 80. So it's like, well, no so it's like, well, where's all this press coming from? And I think it's because Interscope is a vested interest in making him a big deal. And they're buying their way into that sort of fame and acclaim. Then, And that's not necessarily a slight to MGK. I think he gets a lot of shit just for being the most prominent man of the hour. But it does feel like that the, we've reached a crest of that 
nostalgia tour and it is going to start tapering off. And I think new metal has a very honest shot of being the next thing. But I do think that if we can keep our hand on the till, we can steer it towards something productive. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, I think it is, it is, it does feel like a big tipping point. Um, like just how I saw emo rap kind of dig its own grave. Um, sort of this pop punk revival does seem like it's running out of steam. Um, just cause everyone, everyone is doing it. You can only have, you know, there's too many cooks in the kitchen type thing. Um, so we'll see, we'll see what happens. I hope, I hope new metal comes back big or like people put their own spin on it. Like, I mean, like the song Venom that I have with, uh, with Under Oath, you know, we're, I'm rapping over a, a UK drill beat and then it ends like at the end in a three, four breakdown with Spencer Chamberlain screaming with Aaron as well. Um, I just hope that if people do bring back new metal, they can do it uh, in a fresh way and not just try and recycle shit. Don't make the same mistakes that people made with like the emo pop punk resurgence shit. Can you cut us in? I was considering this earlier where it's like if you were doing that, that style since 2015, you're like a veteran. Yeah. Like the scene, the scene lit up so, so big and burned so fast that if you've been yeah. in it since 2015, like, you know, yeah. you've seen it all. Do you? Yeah. And if, yeah, and if you're going to, if you're going to get into the new metal concept in any degree, and I'm not calling a new metal revival, fuck everyone. Calling no, it no, 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 revival. no. <laughs> no. Somebody I interviewed once called it the new metal renaissance. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah. That sounds the good. Renaissance. Yeah. That's kind of nice. But what lessons are you going to take out of your, your time in the trenches? I don't know, man. Um, because <laughs> emo rap uh, at its peak was a complete shit show. I was the first, unless someone proves me wrong, I was the first emo rapper to come out of SoundCloud and sign to an actual label like, like Field Our Ramen. I don't know anyone else who did, but everyone did after the fact. I remember that. Um, I know like Suicide Boys stayed independent. Maybe they have a distribution deal. Bone stayed independent. And then obviously Peep, Juice World X, they were all massive. They were the ones who really took it over the edge. But I don't know, man. Like I, I, I've always been, even though I was in that scene, quote unquote, I was never in it. I've always just been the guy on the outside of these scenes because I don't live in LA. Like I don't live in New York City. Like I don't talk to that many people online. So I'm sort of always been an onlooker to these scenes. So I, I don't know if I'd be a, a good representative of that. I just saw the whole thing fucking crash and burn, you know, and I just tried to put out stuff that I that I thought sounded new and fresh. And at the time it did, but then it's just everyone's, I think what I want to say is like, when someone does something that works, I want to, let's say, you know, like the juice world thing, um, people see that it makes money and then you just have the clones that follow. And that happens with every single band or artist. And I think people just need to realize that the value isn't in, you know, trying to copy what someone else is doing. Like your own perspective is like what the listener will appreciate even more than that. I think you are a good representative to talk to the talk to the younger dudes that want to get into the game because this, listen, yeah. this is going to sound grim, but maybe you didn't go diamond, but you're also not dead. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right, man. Like I, what I, what I think yeah. matters, you just said that like, Oh, you know, I was on the outskirts. And to me, it's like, 
Like, what if you survive because you didn't do the LA thing? Because what I'll tell you yeah. about Los Angeles is, is that when you're that dude, people will come around that you don't know that have every drug you could imagine and they'll just give yeah. it to you. you yeah. And I, I mean, well, I've, I'm very also, you know, I'm, I'm very weird outlier because I've been straight edge my whole life. Um, really? So, yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't drink, I don't smoke, do drugs, anything like that. So, Holy shit. yeah. So I was always, you know, in a scene that was plagued by at the time it was Xanax and, and sort of opiates. Um, you know, I was up, I was in Vermont chopping wood and fucking making maple syrup. <laughs> like, and that's the beauty of the internet, man. Like, I, you know, I was just like, you know, I don't want to go to LA. Like for some people, that's what they want to do. And that, and it works for them. You know what I mean? But for me, I live on 10 acres. I have chickens. I make maple syrup. I have a garden. Like I just, am a diff. I just, that's my thing. You know what I mean? And thankfully you have chickens. I do. I have five chickens. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah man so i'm i'm a fucking weirdo but did you see the um, juice world documentary on hbo i didn't i didn't watch it because i feel like it would just bum me out too much to be honest terrifying it's yeah dude, the amount of drugs that are just brought to him and he does for the duration of that is like a 19 20 year old kid you're just like you're like it, you're like watching a car crash happen in slow motion. You're just like begging someone to step in and and keep this from happening. So to hear you've been straight edge though, the yeah. entire time. Like I don't want to get, you know, I don't want to be like you've never broke edge, but nope, <laughs> no. Wow. I, I tried uh, tried smoking weed when I was uh like thirteen, um, and I didn't like it um at all i had a panic attack it wasn't for me but ever since i was 13 no, i've never had a sip of alcohol I've, I've never i don't know what it feels like to be drunk or anything yeah i've never been yeah well there you go kids you wanna <laughs> <laughs> i mean you know time time is the shield of the gods it's all they have and if you can just keep buying yourself as much time as you can without sacrificing it on the altar of drugs and drink yeah. That's a good way to go. But at the same time, you don't strike me as the kind of guy that would ever preach abstinence to people. No, people are going to do what they want to do. You know what I mean? Like as long as they're not harming other people or, you know, whatever, then they could do whatever they want to do, you know, unless it's someone I deeply care about and they're being extremely self-destructive, then maybe I'd be like, hey, you want to like chill out? <laughs> as as you should. You should step yeah. in. People should step in. Yeah. yeah. Can anyone in here tell me? I did a cursory amount of research on this. Did Vermont produce any big new metal or any new metal bands? Anyone? Hell no. So Vermont is the second least populated state in the U.S. It is the, the number one snowiest state in the U.S. It's also the top three state that receives the least amount of sunlight. So it is. We're so far up north. There's no one here, and the only band that's ever notable that's ever came out of here is fish the jam band um so that's it. if it that's it the only thing that vermonters really care about is you know if it's a white dude with dreads not new metal dreads but like a crust punk folky kind of um you know they like jam bands a lot of deadheads up here but yeah, it's it's very interesting, man. The only heavy band that ever came out of here was a hardcore band called Drowning Man. Um, and they were they were I love Drowning Man. Love, love, yeah, love, man. love, love Drowning Man. And actually, man. what's crazy, bro, is uh I I just uh I grew up doing like mixed martial arts and Muay Thai and stuff, and I started training boxing at this place in St. Albans. 
I um, take Muay Thai too. That's awesome. There you go, man. Dude, it's killer. Um, so I started training traditional boxing at this place down the street from me. And who is the instructor? But Hans Olsen, who is in Drowning Man. So like, <laughs> oh, it was shit. this weird thing where it's like, when you're in Vermont, you don't meet people who have tattoos really like that. You don't meet core guys. You don't meet, you know, I meet like 80 year old dairy farmers. That's it. So it's just so weird that that happened. It's such a small state and I can't emphasize that enough. It's so bizarre. But I did grow up in Massachusetts and they had a much bigger scene in terms of music. Boston Converge. Huge. Yeah, Converge. I mean, they had smaller bands like the Receiving End of Sirens, um, you know, Vanna, Therefore I Am. They were really big, um, just in a lot of heavy music for sure. Uh, the Red Chord came out of Boston, I believe. Converge is new metal. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> I can see that. I've just made that decision. <laughs> yeah, they'd probably be bummed, bro. <laughs> Converge is a new metal band. They're the one, they did Jane Doe, right? Yeah. Yeah. Jane Doe is a new metal album. See, I can just do like that. Yeah. Boom. It's that easy. I'm, I'm guessing Kurt Ballou might see the connection, but I don't see Jacob Bannon being like, oh, yeah, we're totally new metal. You know the band Far? No. Fuck you. None of you know the band Far? <laughs> well, no. please come on camera and say you know who Far is. I know who Far is. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Far is an incredibly influential band, and uh, especially on new metal. But I posted one of their songs once, and their guitarist got in my mentions, and he's like, "What the fuck? Like we're not new metal." And I'm like, "And I'm like, actually, you are. <laughs> you are. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. It's funny to me how many things I do I post that get around." uh in a significant way i especially when i make shit up like i made up this story that um uh fred durst blew up west borland's sailboat for mtv and somebody <laughs> and somebody asked dj lethal about that on twitter and dj lethal's like man i don't remember that at all but <laughs> maybe, maybe, man, maybe that did happen and i had to like get in the mentions and be like hey yeah it didn't <laughs> but crazy shit right so you know, I, I I can't wait to have more encounters like that where people are like, fuck you, not new metal, and you made that up. And I gotta be like, Yeah, I know I I did. I'm sorry about that. But can I just start what can I start seeding the soil as is and just be like nothing nowhere? The new the new metal guy? Dude, yes, please. <laughs> oh, emo that. rap. No, 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 no. He's he's new metal. No, Dude, no, no. I think he's he always is. been Dude, it's that crazy, started. man. It's crazy. The emo rap thing is like I will, as a fan of new metal, like I'll be like, yeah, people call me new metal. Hell yeah, that'd be sick. Um, but I understand a little bit now because when people call me emo rap, even still after I haven't um, really done that in a while, I guarantee when this comes out, they'll call it an emo rap record when it's not. But it's just that my cross to bear, unfortunately. But not, no, I don't think rate, so. Not, I not, hope not. Well, what we can, so the, the adventurous thing, the reason that I'm so optimistic about new metal as a genre going forward is that what we need to restore in rock and metal. And when I say need, I mean, I'm like fucking Winston Churchill on the radio talking to London during the blitz. I'm like, we need to do this or we're all going to die is we have to put rock and metal in that place again, where we can like, like we have our bubble. Right. And we have nothing nowhere. Who's ostensibly an emo rapper. And he's like, well, I want to be new metal. It's like, great. And we can just accompany that. We can expand yeah. the borders. And then we have a yeah. band that's math rock. And they're like, well, we want to be new metal industrial yep. hip-hop and and the thing is i've already seen that happen because like when i started posting about death grips being a new metal band 
people people were coming at me crazy. People were coming at me crazy. They're really? Like, they were, were not happy with Kirk on that one. Bro, people were like, drop the Addy. I'm pulling up. We're going to fight. And then, <laughs> right? And then they dropped the sick new world poster. And you read it left to right. And it's like, Papa Roach, death grips. And I'm like, I fucking told you. <laughs> I fucking told you. I told you. I told you. And I know for like a fact that there's people on the team that put that poster together that read my Twitter to find yeah. like, to like book bands and stuff. So it's like, we can do that. We can just expand. It's basically, we can expand the borders instead of shrinking them. Yeah. The new metal Avengers assemble. The new metal agenda. Like, dude, literally, man. Yeah. So that's like, but that is what I'm like excited about going into this young year is that I think that acts like yourself can just say like, 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 you know, fuck you, fuck emo rap. I'm a new metal artist. And that you don't have to like prove your credentials in that sense. We can literally just be like, yep. And that's all it takes. I think you just are able to be like, that's what I am. And we yeah. Just and if anyone, if anyone ever questions my background, bro, like I have a funny story that I always tell and it's that. So I was raised Catholic, um, outside of Boston, Massachusetts, it's a big Irish Catholic kind of, kind of area. And um we had to when we made our first holy communion we had to essentially we had to tell the priest like any confessions that we had to do so we had to do confessionals right and i was a, i was a sweet boy man i think i still am but like you know i didn't have i wasn't a bad kid i don't really have anything but the only thing that i could think of is that when i asked my mom to buy me um hot dog flavored water and the chocolate star chocolate starfish and the hot dog flavored water it was the explicit version. It was not the edited version. So I was walking around listening to Fred Durst swearing when I knew I wasn't supposed to be. So in my mind, when I went to the priest and I swear, this is literally what happened. I went into the confessional booth and he's like, oh, my son, like name your sins or whatever the hell I say. Um, and I was like, I have the Limp Bizkit album with swears and I've been listening to it. And I'll never forget the priest. Like I could barely see him through the holes and he had no fucking idea what I was talking about. And he was like, all right, say, say five Hail Marys. Like, and yeah, see ya. Like it was, <laughs> it was so funny. That was literally my first and my last Catholic confessional. And obviously now I'm not Catholic. I don't associate with religion, but like, I always tell that story because I'm like, yo, bro, like I've been in it. That was my shit. Like, we are the same person. I yeah, used to bro. take Slipknot songs, load them into an audio program and cut the swears out myself because I wasn't allowed to listen to swears. And I was also a really good kid. And so I was like, yeah. no, I'm not doing it. I'm going to cut all these swear words out. Yeah, man. Lonesome. And that was my confession. I'll never forget. I'd, I'd have my disc man with the, the anti-shock, like, uh, it had the blue disc man. Game changer. Put, Game yeah, changer. Dude. You're in the minivan going over bumps. Yeah, nothing. Skips. Yeah. Like, and I remember listening. Like, I remember listening to. Um, I, I just remember listening to Hybrid Theory and shit. And like, I would have my mom didn't know that I had like. Well, obviously, Hybrid Theory didn't have any swears, but just any new metal stuff that I had, even if it was Follow the Leader or something, I felt so guilty about it, bro. Yeah, you're a badass little kid in my eyes. 
<laughs> yeah, to me, man. To me, hybrid theory and satellite by POD were like, you know what? It's a little yeah. bit on the nose, but they were like the second coming of Christ because it was like no parental advisory sticker, not one swear word, no yeah. songs about women. Just, oh, I can listen to these. I fucking loved POD and I still do. Goodbye for now. I was like, dude, it's like, it's so fucking good. And I feel like people don't talk about them enough. Well, here's the thing, right? Is that when you're a kid, especially like, you know, I'm going to make the assumptions when you're growing up in a, in an environment that's very white and you get the POD mm -hmm. album and it has reggae songs on it and yeah. dance. And, 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 and that's just like, you know, that's like, like hearing bounty killer or, um, you know, uh, sister Nancy or something is that that's as close as yeah. you get is Sonny Sandoval. And yeah. That's really cool to me. And, and like the point that I want to make too about that, like to go back to my earlier point about POD bringing in those reggae influences is that like, if you think about being a gatekeeper and what gatekeepers do to their respective scenes, well, you know, you had corn, corn invents new metal. Cool. Now imagine Limp Biscuit comes along and they bring in a turntable and Fred's doing more rapping stuff. Imagine if the gatekeepers or whatever were just like, no, that's not new metal. Like new metal has yeah. to sound like this. Well, then it dies, you know, that's it. Yeah, We're done. Dude, and, yeah. And that's really like, that's, I feel like new metal got really lucky in that regard because when it comes to heavy music and when it comes to rock music, no one gay keeps harder. Like no one, like you talk about, like you look at the Grammys and stuff, not that the Grammys fucking matter, but like, it's always like, it's like the same shit over and over and over again and it's just like so i think what we need to do is we need to give the kids permission to make shitty music and be cringe yeah. because yeah. that's so much of the essence of of new metal to me is that it is so much of it is like bad and, and yeah. that is what makes it enjoyable to me is it's people like doing whatever they can to push the idea for the idea of rock and metal forward and i think too much of it is is like um, adhering to more classical standards instead of being outrageously shit and just going yeah. for it because it's what's in your yeah. heart. And I will say, if we're, if we're talking about gatekeeping right now, like at, um, I mean, at the point of this podcast being released, so I was just, I was just announced on a tour and I'm opening up for Wage War and a band called Spite is opening um, opening the show up and there's so many people. So this is my first foray into heavy, heavy music touring. And there's so many people online right now, like nothing, nowhere can't be on this, but it's even funnier right now because no one knows I haven't released anything from the album. So they have no idea what it's going to sound like. You got so one in the chamber. Funny. You're like, come on. It's so, and it was supposed to come out. It was supposed to come out the record before this tour announcement. So it would have made a lot more sense, but I'm actually glad because everyone's like, what's the pieces of you like alternative radio guy doing on the wage war tour. And it's so funny. Cause I love seeing gatekeepers like cry. It's sick. Yeah. I think you have to be able to get out in front of that and be, I don't want to say like embarrassing, but just very proudly who you are, no matter what kind of person that is because yeah. emo when you think about it emo rap became such an incredibly easy to strike pose and you could like you could like alchemize the perfect emo rapper like listen you're you're the one in the scene man do you feel like that ever yeah i mean dude honestly if if it's 2023 right now like if i hear a straight up emo rap song right now it's a jump scare to me because I'm like, what the, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Like, it's so bizarre. Like, I mean, I've, I've been doing nothing nowhere for almost a fucking decade, which sounds insane now. 
Um, but it's true. And it's like, it's just one of those genres that's never had any variety. It's always, it's a one trick pony, dude. And and if anything, the new SoundCloud scene is, is hyper pop, which is sort of like its successor. It's the new generation is, is hyper pop, which even then it's like the labels got that and it's really tired now. So I don't know, man, shit just moves way too fast. And I think people need to conceptualize their stuff a little bit more before they just vomit it out into like mainstream culture. Well, when I explain to people what it is I'm doing and like when people give me weird looks when I'm like, you know, I got laid off from my job and to me, like, this is just full time for me, no matter what it takes, I'm riding it till the wheels fall off. And I think people are like, you're a full time Twitter poster. And it's like, no, dude, I'm going to build up the biggest platform I can for heavy music because someone needs to ride out for bands. Someone needs to do everything they can to put that music on. And what I think is hard to reflect upon is like, bro, I remember where I was standing, what the temperature was outside, what time it was when I first heard Lil Peep rap over Too Bright to See, Too Loud to Hear by Under Oath on Hellboy. I remember because it was like at the time, you know, 2016. or something it was like i've never heard this before you know this Mm -hmm. has never been done before but now it's like everyone everyone can do that and what's crazy about that too is before that record it's it was done thousands of times in soundcloud starting from 2013 so it's like that's the tip of the iceberg it's crazy how like when people who don't know about punk music they're like the ramones made punk punk music you know what i mean like there's just these charismatic people that come into the scene that they would I don't know what it is but they have it and they just fucking take off and it's just like I know we've said it over and over but it's just fucking sad and I don't know whose fault it is I don't know if it's the management I don't know if it's the label I don't know if it's their peers but it's just like it's sad and I can't even listen to that I like anytime I listen to a peep song or something I get like sad you know what I mean it's just like it's it's a literal tragedy, you know what I mean? It's like these are these are children. That ties into the point that I was going to make though about you and the position you're in going into 2023, which is that your name is solid. Like you can put everything on your name cuz you never made like a pop maneuver, you know? Well, no. I mean, I definitely I definitely tried to swing for the fences at one point of just like I want to see. I want to see if I can influ- infiltrate the the charts or whatever and dude like my song i had this song fake friend which was i think it was number nine on alternative and billboard and it's still played in kroger supermarkets and shit and it's played at planet fitness every fucking day and it's so funny to me that like <laughs> void eternal which is coming out is so fucking different and it has like will ramos and just like a bunch of people screaming their heads off where it's like I'm proud of myself for not getting sucked into that entirely. You know what I mean? Like but you, you stand have, by that song, right? By which one? The, Fake one you're ta- the Kroger one you were talking about. It's all right. I mean, I don't like it that much, but it's okay. You know what I mean? Like that was me. Like, I think for nothing, nowhere is like me trying. I'm a little insane with me trying different types of music. Like I will admit that I should just stick to what I'm good at. But I just, I don't know, I'm here in Vermont, you know, I like trying shit out. But it's weird how like fake friend was on the radio every day. And now this record, this shit's not going to be on the fucking radio. And I'm ecstatic about it. I'm happy. You know what I mean? Because I'm doing what I want to do now. I'm trying to figure out what I'm trying to say. You've, you've never played the game. 
No, I don't. You didn't. No. You didn't shack up in that big house in Hollywood like you were supposed to. You probably come on. You had the opportunity to do that, right? Yeah. No, I. I. So okay. So when I first met with a bunch of labels, um, I was getting flown out to every you know New York City, L.A. meeting with Interscope, Atlantic, Capital, everyone, and they're waving you know massive checks in front of my face, but. I'm very, very fortunate that I had sort of a, a moment to reflect and be like, okay, you can take this check. But to me, I knew that would be the end of it. Like you are the backup quarterback to the backup quarterback to the backup quarterback. You think like you signed to Interscope and Ariana Grande is, is going to release something. You think they give a fuck about you? No. So like, yeah, I had a lot of opportunities to really sell my fucking soul or whatever you want to say. And uh, but I just see, you know, I saw my peers from that scene crash and burn. And I just, you know, it's not a coincidence like the this this is these are this is dark energy that you're surrounding yourself with, not to sound too woo, but, you know, and that's why I stay where I'm at. And I do what I do is I can be a human being who just so happens to be music. It doesn't encapsulate me or, you know, end up killing me. Yeah, because, well, I think that. Like you've stayed solid. And I think that when you make this pivot with your new record, your fans are going to follow you because you didn't like you didn't you didn't play that game. You didn't make the big L.A. move and you didn't make the big I'm going to, you know, oh, you know, Interscope Records wants you to date Noah Cyrus now. You know, like you didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, uh... you didn't do that. And so now when you put out your new record, your fans are going to be like, we trust you. They're going to follow you. I think. um I think what it comes down to is people people know people are a lot smarter than we give them credit for, especially like music fans, you know, and they they know if you're being genuine or or if you are speaking to your higher self, you're following your own personal legend. They they know um, they're not stupid. You know, if I were to come out with if I were to move to L.A., and start switching up like people would be like what the fuck happened to this dude like it wouldn't be like sneaky and i think a lot of people think they're sneaky about it but it's like it's obvious what you're doing you know and it's it's cool to talk about this too because from an early standpoint i realized that i noticed that there was a massive influx of people with nothing nowhere tattoos for at the time and still how relatively small the fan base is like you know, I, I I do, I have been fortunate. I feel like we have a pretty good mid-size fan base and everything, which is rad. But the amount of people who have my signature tattooed, my fucking face tattooed, my hands tattooed on them, like it's insane. And I really credit that to um, just trying to be like a normal fucking guy and like speaking from my heart and not putting on a persona. You know what I mean? So, cause people resonate with that, man. And I would rather have, a really dedicated yet smaller fan base than just the sort of casual listener who knows me for one song. And that's more valuable in the end. You also picked the right, you made the right move before the right move was something to make by being a Vermont guy before the pandemic, because it suddenly became like, like you were already social distancing. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and during the pandemic, COVID, uh, Vermont had the lowest COVID numbers out of all 50 states. So it was, you were chilling. It, was it was big chilling, man. So it was, yeah, I, my entire life has been social distancing. Even when I was a kid, like I was always extremely socially awkward and uh, 
I guess introverted would be a, a, a nicer word to say. Um, yeah. And that's just kind of been my vibe, but, and I've always, you know, in therapy in past, I've talked about this. I've thought that being introverted was a weakness, but as we're talking now, like it's, it's really turned out to be my greatest strength because I've avoided so many downfalls or potential downfalls. You know what I mean? Plus it's easy to get yourself out there without being an outgoing person by clicking the mouse like enough times and connecting with like one, literally, in, you know, connecting with one introvert at a time. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Yeah. I'm not like, so I'm from Massachusetts originally. I've lived in Vermont for a really long time. Um, and it's not like Vermont claims me. It's not like Massachusetts claims me. Like I'm a product of the internet. I've never played a show in Vermont. I played a show in Massachusetts extremely later on. Like, so it's like the internet has been a blessing for me. Um, and I don't, I don't even know if I would have been a musician without it. Cause I'm just so like in my own zone. You know what I mean? Would you make the LA move though? If Ross Robinson hit you up? <laughs> <laughs> I, man, I don't think I could ever do it personally, man. Like it's, uh, it's Not just even for Ross. It's a different vibe, man. I think, I when think was the last time you were here year and a half ago, I was there. I mean, I'm, I'm still out there. Um, cause I have to go to some meetings here and there. And my girlfriend still has like an apartment out there. So I'll be out there here and there. Um, but yeah, I, I need it in small doses. I think some people like cities. Some people like the country. I think I fall on the ladder personally. Oh yeah. Stay the fuck away from LA. <laughs> <laughs> if, you're, if you're like wary of the fame monster and also cities, this is the worst place on earth for you to be. Yeah, man. You got to think about it. Like I don't like drugs. I don't like a lot of traffic. I don't like a lot of people around me. I don't like bars and party life. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just checking all the opposite boxes for me, you know? <laughs> well, man, you know, it's been really great talking to you. I'm really glad you got to come on the show. Where do you think your 2023 is going to lead? I mean, I listen, I've listened to the new record. It's brilliant. It is a, it, you're not just like making a clean break with emo rap. Like there still are like programmed hi-hats and stuff in there. And I think venturing into that category of sort of pop post hardcore is an adventurous maneuver and taking a lot of your, you know, the under oath spot on it is phenomenal. Like that's, that's like the crux of the whole record is getting to that part, like the bloodletting of it. And uh, yeah, it's another great release from you. The consistency thanks, is outmatched man. and then you're going to hit the road, right? Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. Um, so I'm, next month, I mean, now we're, we're filming this, I'll be in Australia in February and then, uh, I will be on tour with Wage War and Spite. And then in the summer, I'll be playing a whole bunch of festivals um, overseas. And uh, yeah, man, I'm just excited. Like this is this is the music that made me and heavy music is in my DNA and I'm happy to finally make the leap. Um, and I just think it's a, it's a clean slate for me and it feels like a, like a rebirth in a, in a good way. And I'm, I feel like it's going to be it's just going to be a, a nice new era that I'm excited to step into. So we'll see what happens. Well, I'm getting a vision. Oh, Nothing, no. nowhere, new metal. <laughs> Nothing, nowhere, new metal. Exactly. You, you approve? I approve. Big All time. right. We got another one, gentlemen. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. The agenda is unstoppable. So, hey, thank you so much for coming on here. When is the album out? Uh, the album is out. Fuck, man. Sometime in March. I don't know. We're about to announce it, but it'll be out in March 2023. Um, 
yeah, on Fueled by Ramen. And uh, yeah, people should uh, give it a shot. They might like it. For sure, man. Uh, hey, do you guys, I don't want to trample everyone. Cran, Wolf, do you guys have any questions? Uh, I had a quick question. Uh, you know, you've got Will from Lorna Shore on the album. You've got the Under Oath guys on the album. Uh, just looking forward, do you have anybody in mind, like any dream collaborations from the heavy music scene that you'd like on the next one? This Dude. one not even being out yet. I know it might be a little forward to think about, but. I mean, this is right up, right up your guys' alley, but I mean, Fred Durst, Mike Shinoda, Jonathan Davis, like you, you send me any of the greats, man. Like that's like, that would be such an honor. Like that's like, especially Mike Shinoda. Like if I ever got to make a track with him, like I sample a lot of my rapping, like style, like he was such a big influence on me. So I say like those guys and even just in like newer, like music, like I'm a big fan of ghost main. I think he's doing industrial really well. And even I like to work with some more hardcore bands too. There's a band gridiron, um, out of, out of Detroit, Michigan. And I think that, uh, they're what they make Kirk. If you haven't heard it, check out gridiron. It is, I think it has the stamp of new metal, bro. So let me know after the podcast. Um, yeah, you got to check them out. It's a band. I'm getting on that. I'm getting on that. Uh, yeah, man. For sure. Wolf, did you have anything you wanted to ask? He's in the dark. I think he's a little under the weather right now. Yeah. So in an interview with Music Radar a couple of years ago, you talked about doing your first tour with Thrice and a lot of dispute. Yep. You said their fans had no idea what to make of it. And I love that. I love the shock factor and the fact they got to mix things up and be something different. Like, is it, do you, is that what powers you as an artist to try and find these like tweener spaces and mind your creativity and discomfort? Yeah. Well, I mean, at first it definitely was uncomfortable when I was starting, especially before emo rap had a platform. When I started touring in 2016, I guess. I was always the outlier on the bill. It was like a family values tour on any tour that I was slapped on. You know what I mean? Um, and uh, I, at first it was sort of, you know, it was, it was, it gave me a lot of anxiety. Cause I was like, damn, like I don't really fit with these bands, but now it's like, yo, I love it. I love getting on stage and being like, just the act, like a sore thumb. I love being a sore thumb on any bill because when people leave the show, you know, you can listen to five of the same like post-hardcore bands. You can listen to five of the same pop punk bands, but they're going to remember me because I had 808s or like, you know, weird shit like that. So I think now it definitely fuels me. And, and it's I love looking at people's reactions, whether it's good or bad. Yeah. And you're not like opening for Fallout Boy where that wouldn't be something. I did actually. <laughs> you know what? Whatever. All right. Good night. <laughs> like, you're like, you're like actually i did yeah i i I, um pete wentz was one of the first people to ever hit me up 2015 uh he called me um he called me on the phone and i thought it was a joke but nope it was pete wentz and uh ever since then i've been on dcd2 records to cadence as well as fuel by ramen and uh i did open for them with none other none other than mgk was on the same dates that i played um and i yeah, it was in front of 15,000 people for a few shows in arenas. And I should not have been up there because I had not, I did not have enough experience, but the videos are hilarious and I shit my pants every night. Did you, do you find yourself craving those more intimate venues? Yeah. Well, I mean, the paycheck's nicer in the bigger venues, I'll say. But other than the monetary factor, like if you're talking about pure vibes, like, yeah, like the smaller, the smaller the venue, the better the, the show is going to be, the more adrenaline there's going to be. Like, I love to see kids jumping off the stage, like, 
it's crazy, man. And I, and I don't even know, I have no idea where I'm at in my career until I tour. And I think that that's a real true marker for a lot of people. Like a lot, the internet has made it so that you can have 5 million monthly listeners, but you can't sell 50 fucking tickets. And that's something that I'm glad that I always grinded out. I slept in a van and trailer. I got the flu on tours for years and years and years um, because that's that's real shit. Like you got to be able to sell tickets. And um, and even like the last tour that we just did in the UK, we were playing in front of like 15 or uh, 1500 people and we sold it out as the headliner. And I'm like, I had no idea I was this big over here. And it's just so rad to see. But when it's a small show, it's way sicker, man. Like the pits are, it's, it's rad. That's how most new metal bands made their name. I mean, for every like disturbed that seemed to be born straight into a tour bus, it was like, at, like yeah. seven dust and corn and limp biscuit. It was like, get in the van motherfucker, you know, yeah. every city and every state and then do them again. Yeah. That's one of those tried and true things that like, sure. Like you can blow up way quicker. Your numbers on the internet can be big, but you know, there's nothing like nothing will ever be like the human interaction of an actual like heavy like rock show. When are you in LA next though? For tour, <clears throat> not for fun and pleasure. I'm gonna be oh for touring, I will be there in April, I believe. That's um, actually what I was just looking up when you were gonna be in Chicago. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I'm pretty bad off the top of my head with my April 22nd. I, there we go. The Blasco Theater, 6.30 p.m., Los Angeles, California, oh, United for, States. For That's real? a Saturday. Uh, yeah, come through, man. We'll put you guys on the on the list. Slide. Out there. Well, I'm Holiday Kirk with the New Metal Agenda. I would like to thank our guest so much for taking the time out of his busy day, night, evening, to jump on with us and chat it up about heavy music. Man, hey, thanks a trillion for making this Thank you guys so much. I appreciate it, man. No problem. And this is just me reminding the audience out there, be listening to new metal, be delving into some of those B-sides, some of those dark horses. Hit me up if you ever need recommendations. My DMs are always open. Good night.